0: Economic activity throughout the world in the back half of this year.
1: U.S. markets—they they rallied after this data. It, it almost seems at the moment that whatever data comes out, U.S. stocks go up. If if the data is worse than expected, they say, well, the Fed's going to be on hold for longer. If the data is better than expected, investors seem to say, well, look, you know, the economy is doing really well. It seems that markets can't lose at the moment. Yeah,
0: it's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? And we've been we've been talking about that with inflation. You know, inflation spikes and and uh, bonds. Uh, people buy bonds so you know there's there's a lot of slightly short-term anomalies probably driven a lot by flow um uh, where you see uh, less economic performance i think people see it as the fed holding off in terms of tapering so they see that as a positive more liquidity hence stocks and asset prices continue to rise so i think that's the math um we'll be looking to the fed maybe september to see in terms of progress in relation to their discussions around tapering um that'll you know that'll be a very interesting discussion post-summer uh, when the market's a little bit more ready and we have some more data on this third quarter to see if the economy has softened, what are the Fed going to do? If it's still maintaining strength, the Fed could look to start talking about some tapering, but uh, maybe it's a little premature right now.
1: Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend, despite being in the lockdown. That's Toby Lawson, CEO of City General India, back in Australia. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Australia, the SX200 is up 0.2%, but elsewhere, markets are sinking. The Nikkei 225 in Japan off three quarters of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea down about 0.4%. Looks like it's going to be a bad open for the Hang Seng. Uh, Futures markets indicating a decline of about 300 points at the open in just under an hour's time. In the commodities markets, gold is rising, $1,829 an ounce. And Brent crude oil is slipping, $74.88 a barrel. Thank you very much for listening this week. Have a great weekend. See you on Monday again at 8 o'clock. Batchett's coming up with Danny Gittings and Janice Wong. Uh, The weather forecast for today and also for the weekend's going to be cloudy. Showers and squally thunderstorms. Those showers will be heavy at times. The maximum temperature will be around 30 degrees. And then the outlook is for heavy showers with squally thunderstorms in the next couple of days. There is a thunderstorm warning in force and the amber rainstorm warning signal as well. Temperature right now, 27 degrees, 94% relative humidity. 8.32, Susan Lavender has the half-hour news.
2: Hong Kong's Olympians have a chance to double their record-breaking medals tally in Tokyo. The first action is just an hour away. Jimmy Choi... The action begins at half-past nine Hong Kong time with the SL's badminton mixed doubles team of Te Ying Suit and Tang Chun Man in action. They face Japanese pair Yuta Watanabe and Arisa Higashino for a bronze medal. Just before ten, Hong Kong will hold its breath again when swimming ace Jivan Hohe goes for glory in a women's 100m freestyle. Large crowds gather in shopping malls to see Hohe battle her way to silver in a 200m free on Wednesday. She qualifies second fastest for today's final, marginally behind the favourite Emma McKeon and will again be among the favourites to get onto the podium. Hong Kong already boasts fencer Chen Ka-long's gold as well as Ho silver medal. Could it be four Olympic medals for the SL by lunchtime? Police say they're investigating booing of the national anthem at a Kun Tong mall on Monday. It came during the broadcast of the medal ceremony for fencer Chen Ka-long. Mainland authorities are stepping up work to control small coronavirus outbreaks driven by the Delta variant. The flare-up began when nine airport workers in Nanjing tested positive last Tuesday. More than 170 cases have been detected in Jiangsu, while infections have spread to at least four other provinces. China analyst Mark O'Neill says officials are doing all they can.
3: They've closed down residential areas in Nanjing. They have closed cinemas, KTVs, gyms, uh, and people can only go to markets and shopping malls. It's banned long-distance buses from leaving. Uh, Taxis and other other vehicles that carry people are not allowed to leave the urban area. And the subway line between the main railway station and the airport, that's been shut down. They're doing all they can to confine the outbreak to Nanjing City itself. But as we mentioned, there are cases already in other provinces.
2: Russia has upgraded its capabilities on the International Space Station after its new NIOCA module successfully docked with the ISS. NIOCA, named after the Russian word for science, is intended to serve as a research laboratory. It should have launched in 2007 but was repeatedly delayed due to budget and technical problems. The news from RTHK.
3: Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Janice. Good morning, Janice.
4: Good morning, Danny.
3: On this morning's show, we'll be talking mostly about climate change as the world reels from a series of extreme weather events. And scientists in the Climate Change Advisory Group warn nowhere is safe from the effects of a warming planet. With record temperatures in many countries, extreme flooding in others, has the world entered a new phase of climate change? We'll be talking to the former head of the Hong Kong Observatory who says he's ashamed of how little Hong Kong is do, doing to prepare for global warming. But we start this morning's show with the topic on everyone's mind right now. As Hong Kong waits with bated breath to see if Sh- Siobhan Hohe can grab her second Olympic gold medal or Olympic medal in the women's 100 metres in just up, ni- under 90 minutes from now. We'll be talking to one of her former swimming coaches about Siobhan's path to success. Let us know your thoughts. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can join the lively debate about Siobhan on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, Or give us a call. The number there, 233. 233- Double eight two six six. That's two three three double eight two six six. We're moving on to talk about climate change a little bit later in the program, but we're going to start the program this morning by talking to Coleman Wong. Coleman Wong is a former South China Athletic Association swimming coach who um, who coached uh, Siobhan. Good morning, Mr. Wong. Welcome to Back Chat. Good morning, everyone. Perhaps I so. just bring in, uh, obviously, a lot of interest in Hong Kong right now about Siobhan, and um, including among our listeners, and uh, quite a few comments on our Facebook page. Just, just, just bringing a few there. there, there. Um, Peter says, uh, Siobhan, Jorge's success will have zero effect on Hong Kong sport. It will continue to get chronically underfunded as the Lam government will spend their money on other things. Until education in Hong Kong places less emphasis on passing exams and sets aside time for PE lessons or space to do PE, nothing will happen. Will the Lamb government make a pledge to ensure every kid in school can swim? And Adelaide says swimming skills are extremely important for children. Most states have a compulsory school swimming program in Australia. Swimming in schools is funded by the government. This program is designed to ensure children develop the required water safety skills before leaving primary school. I believe starting your child in lessons as early as possible and ensuring regular and consistent lessons until they are competent in the water.
4: Good morning, Mr. Wong. This is uh, uh, Janice here. So, so you coached Siobhan when she was uh, 10 to 13 years old. I mean, did she already stand yes. out from other swimmers at that age? So
5: at that time, she was good, but not that high. Quite outstanding. But when I first met Siobhan, um, most of people, the local coaches told me, oh, Coleman, you have a really young, good girl in my program. And, and I look at her and I say, yeah, she's good, but she's only 10 years old. We we'll never know what in the future. So, um, yes, yeah, she's pretty average, like a little bit above average, but it's not really outstanding.
4: So, so what do you think, uh, Ashley? Uh, so are you surprised at how far she's come?
5: Um, yeah, she like she she's doing pretty well. You know, like she she's one of the girls pretty consistent, and in a number of cases, like she just surprised me. She just she just had a natural talent in
4: swimming. And it's actually, but but it's not just talent that makes an Olympic medalist. I guess I mean the attitude of the athlete is also very important. I mean, um, what yeah. was Siobhan's attitude like when when you met her?
5: She's very um, determined and she she's a very simple person. And I guess the, her success comes from her parents because her parents are so supportive about swimming and and she, her time management skill is awesome. You cannot believe it. So every day she goes to bed at 8 p.m. So no more than nine. So in the Hong Kong environment, it's almost unheard of. Um, so she would do her schoolwork during recess or lunchtime and get things done and then uh, move on to other tasks.
3: We, in fact, we heard all these stories about her getting up at like 3 a.m. in the morning. Was, was that the case when you were coaching her? Or
5: Yeah, when I, um, I started to introduce a morning session when she was 11. So we start at um, 5 a.m. So she needs to be at pool 5.30. So basically she get up at 4.30 um, three mornings a week. So um,
3: yeah, just, just a pretty tough lifestyle for her at a young age. And, and it's a, I mean, I'm sure she, she, she's gone on to a huge success. She's not the only um, sort of talented young swimmer you, you've coached. What, what, what makes her different from the others? I mean, you must have coached many others who also have determination and probably even get up at 4.30 as well. Um, and what, how, how do you distinguish and become an Olympic medalist as opposed to someone else who's just very determined?
5: Um, the big part is um, from her parents. You know, just when I introduced her morning training, so most of the parents say I'm crazy. But wants uh, parents so supportive and they try to take um, it, you know, and, and just listen to my advice. She, they never question me about anything. I make a decision of sheborn training program or decision. So they, I think the parents, like, they are pretty good. And, and also she wants to do it as well. And I always challenged one in, in so many areas. At that time, she was so good. Like, she was always medalist madder, in the Hong Kong competition. And at one stage, I say, this is it's not good for your future. Why don't we go to um, Australia to, um, to raise? And the parents say, yep, no problem. We can go there. And yeah, so parents is
3: a big part. So that's the message or that I'm sure many people many listeners listening this morning and thinking how how could their child be a medalist <laughs> like that You're saying that the parents make a huge difference there:
5: Yeah it is they are uh, they pretty they're pretty easy, and they don't to like result different parents they're looking for things for long term whatever um just good for sheborn or Ashling, her sister, and they they pretty you know they pretty buy in you know they never never do other things.
4: And Mr. Wong, you, you must have spent a lot of time with uh, Siobhan at t- training during those uh, three years. I mean, were there any funny moments or memorable ones you can share with us?
5: Yeah, um, when, I, when I one day in, in Hong Kong training, and she started crying. Like she's, and then, I don't know, at that time, I don't know if she's crying. And, I, and I, I feel like something wrong, and I kind of talk to her, and she's very quiet. And I say, come on, Siobhan, okay, goggles off. What, so what's happening and, and I saw her, she blowing her eyes out uh, I said what happened and oh it's too hard I said Looks really, so, no problem we can back it off now but at that time she said oh no problem I, you know, I keep going and I said to her are you sure? She said yeah I'm keep going so um, this is only once I saw her cry in tears in the pool and then the second moment is um, the first time I um, I took her to um, to race in the australian Asian national championship so and um in the one event i forgot which event 23 style or 20 im one one of them so they she she didn't make the final She's the first time in her life didn't make the final and then after the race i said to her you know that's okay we move on there's a uh, more races coming up so we we group and uh, we move on and i asked are you okay and she said i'm fine you know i i'm not that good so i you work hard uh, when I'm back to your training and uh, I will come back next year. So, yeah, it's pretty memorable.
4: And, and what do you think of uh, Siobhan's excellent performance yesterday at the semifinals for the 103? I mean, she actually broke her own Asian record.
5: Yeah, I guess after free, South she came second and she just had that self-belief and then in Olympic environment, I think self-belief coming first. Um, she just try her best to to get in the final. You know, if she swims slow in the semi, she probably miss out. So she knew she has to really put her foot down to to finish the race well. And I'm really explaining this morning. I'm, she may punch some ridiculous
3: result. So. Ridiculous result? You mean ridiculously fast, right? Yep. 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 I mean, she is. Yep. Uh, that's what she. Means. Yeah, that's what she's strongest at, isn't it? It's the shortest. I and mean, we all saw on Wednesday, didn't we, that she opened up a lead and then she lost it in the, yeah. literally the very last yeah. moment. But today she's competing yeah. in 100 metres and then 50 metres. Yeah. If she can open up a lead, she has a good chance, doesn't she? Yeah,
5: yeah, it is. Because her big competitor is Emma, Emma McKinnon. And um, and I know her dad, Emma. Like, So he was my coach back to the, <laughs> a long time ago when I was at uni. So so Emma, like, she missed out the um gold medals in the 105, So he, she she got beaten by the um the Canada girls and the Chinese. So this and and she desperate won that gold medal in 103, So that's she got a fair bit stress on like pressure on. But she won she has nothing to lose, you know, she got second yesterday and, you know, she will just go go hard and hopefully Emma make some mistake and she can she can take the win.
3: And of course, the the relay team have also, and the, the Hong Kong relay team have sacrificed something for Siobhan, haven't yeah. they? They gave up. Yeah. Their, what, what do you think of yeah. that? They gave up their chance to compete so that she could focus on these races.
5: Yeah, I'm pretty sure the the coaches, staff, or the management team are already um, discussed with this. And and in swimming, it's quite um, it it's not normal. It, it, it's quite normal. So if because after. Turn the freestyle, I don't think she will have nothing left in her tank so if, if she still go the 4x2 relay then the result may not be that good so maybe getting worse because she just come out like finish the final and then you know and you just don't know how she handle it especially in the Olympic uh, environment.
3: Now, we're all rightly focused on Siobhan today, but are, are there more promising swimmers like this coming up in Hong Kong? I mean, is this going to be a one-off, or do you think it can pave a way for sort of a, a new era of s- swimming success in Hong Kong?
5: I think uh, in Hong Kong, I, uh, compared to in Australia, I, I don't think there's uh, any difference between the Aussie kid and the, uh, the Hong Kong kid. I think the most different is, is the parents. So I think from after the, this Olympic, if more parents... Like, kind of have a more positive view about sport, then
3: I'm sure in the future there will be more women like Siobhan and, you know, that good. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, we'll let you, you, we'll okay. let you get off to uh, prepare for the big race. And, of course, uh, Siobhan uh, are racing at 9.59 uh, now, in only just over an hour from now. Um, you heard Coleman Wong. Coleman Wong uh, taught, uh, um, coached uh, Siobhan Jorge from uh, ages 10 to 13, a former uh, South China Athletes Association swimming coach. Um, if you have any thoughts on uh, the Olympics or indeed on our main topic, which we're now moving on to, climate change, uh, do email us at backchat at uh, That's backchat Or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and leave a comment there. Moving on, it has been a few weeks of extraordinary, Weather around the world. We've seen it in China, or well, of course, uh, China. There may have been other immediate causes with the extreme, uh, the extreme flooding. But we've also seen extreme flooding in um, in um, in Europe, and we've seen record temperatures really everywhere, from North America to uh, Siberia. Uh, so it really does. And of course, we had um, the uh, scientists in the uh, Climate Change uh, Advisory Group coming out just yesterday, saying that not literally nowhere on Earth is uh, safe from the effects of a warming planet. Uh, joining us here in the studio to discuss uh, the the sequence of events is um, uh, Lam Chu Ying. Lam Chu Ying is the former director of the Hong Kong Observatory. Uh, Good morning, Mr. Lam. Welcome to Backchat. And we're also (laughs) going to be joined in a moment on on the phone by uh, Dr. William Yu, who is the founder and chief executive officer of World Green Organization, and um, Albert Lai, who is the CEO of uh, Carbon Care Asia. Uh, you, you're on record. Well, no, first of all, let's talk about the, the, the most recent events around the world. Can, can we blame it all on climate change? I mean, they say the flooding in China and Zhongzhou mm. was it was, a, it was a consequence of poor urban planning and mm. uh, the typhoon. So, mm. uh, but is there a climate change element in there as well?
6: Yes, there obviously is an element of climate change. Um, well, as people always say, uh, you cannot blame climate change for everything. <laughs> but climate change provides the background. Um, See, the extreme heat and the drought in California, in the Northwest US and uh, East, uh, Western Canada, is a heat wave which uh, won't move elsewhere, just stay there. And then you have the heavy rain in Europe. The rain just stay there and won't move away. Well, even if rain is heavy, if if it moves, then you don't get a rainstorm localised. And in Zhengzhou, it's the same. If if the rain clouds were moving, then it would not be flood as severe as that. So basically, what we are observing is that uh, things are not moving very fast. And this is more or less a direct consequence of a slower jet stream those of you who fly to Europe or the States, you would have heard of the uh, jet stream, haven't you? Yes. Um, well, the, the, the interesting thing about climate change and the jet stream is that uh, with global warming, the jet stream would slow down. And once the jet stream slows down, things would have a higher tendency to, to become stationary and not moving. Then you have extreme heat occurring on consecutive days and you have very heavy rain staying around the same place more frequently. So it is increasing the uh, frequency of extreme heat and extreme rainfall. Uh, This is an indirect consequence of the uh, warming, but it is a fairly firm, uh, uh, concrete result of uh, the decreased temperature difference between the equator and the pole, which is also a consequence of global warming
3: so when you talk about the jet stream like that perhaps that explains why the climate change advisory group said it, 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 this can or at least extreme weather events can happen literally anywhere in the world now
6: yes indeed um, you see uh, weather could become extreme once things are not moving and, and then stayed around um, uh, in the old days say in the mid latitudes in europe or america uh, you, you you could have rain uh, in the morning sunshine in the afternoon uh, because things are moving but uh, once it stays around then you have the rain all the time or or the drought all the time so
4: so what do these extreme weather events tell us about the seriousness of uh, climate change right now
6: well um actually the un uh, intergovernmental uh climate change group yeah, IPCC. Ha- yeah the I- ipcc it has been warning people about the. Uh, much more frequent localized severe rainstorms on land Um, and uh, it would naturally lead to more flooding Uh, and then one other thing which people rarely realize and that is the increasing degree of urbanization uh, increases the risk of severe rain in in big cities in big pieces of concrete and where you have concrete water can't go away. So uh, wherever you have big cities, especially if your city is in low-lying areas, then you have to be much more better prepared for, for flooding in the coming years
4: the i p c c is actually still holding their meeting right now um oh. in a, in a report uh, just released uh, uh from by the uh, climate crisis advisory group <laughs> i mean their report says uh, greenhouse gas levels are already too high for a manageable future for humanity <laughs> that sounds really really bad well
6: um well um some people could be more pessimistic uh but uh my point of view is that whatever is going to happen we, we can't give up now uh simply because this is beyond the point of no return um whatever whatever would happen we must do something about it we can't stand here and say oh rationally that uh, there is no way of dealing with it um well actually we are getting close to the point of no return um in the old days uh, the consensus view was that if we, if we could control the temperature rise to 2 degrees or below uh, compared with the pre-industrial uh, revolution level, uh, it would be okay. But now we, the consensus is that uh, it should be 1.5. But we are getting very close to 1.5. We are already 1.1. 1. 1. There is only a uh, half degree margin. So we really have to work very hard to decarbonize uh, before 2050 if not <laughs> uh, we would be running the risk of getting to uh, that the, the red line the point of no return.
3: Okay you say we have to work very hard to uh, decarbonize. Let's, 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 let's bring in Albert Lai. Albert Lai is the CEO of Carbon Care Asia who's, who just joined, joined us as well. Um, uh, good morning Mr Lai. Hi, good morning. So are, are we really reaching this irreversible point point in terms of climate change?
7: Um, well, I think the science is all pointing to it. In fact, um, uh, the IPCC scientists are already uh, revising or updating the reports uh, You know, in these two weeks. I, I think they're talking about 12 tipping points identified. I mean, beyond which, I mean, we are in really big trouble. I mean, some of the tipping points are like, for example, polar ice caps melt and and, and the... Uh, the problem with the tundra and so on, mm-hmm. um, beefing and be missing from the tundra. So so all these are pointing to, to the need for bold action. I think the best way is to look at it, is to look at what we are doing in Hong Kong, and that is also worrying, because despite the fact that the chief executive has promised carbon neutral by 2050, we are not seeing any near-term action, which is the key, because uh, promising a long-term... A net zero goal is quite meaningless when we don't have near-term action.
3: Well, what do you think Hong Kong should be doing, uh, more specifically?
7: Well, I mean, there are a lot of things we can do. I mean, for example, uh, talking about electricity grid, I mean, uh, that's the latest technologies in relation to offshore wind farm, for instance. I mean, there's local renewable energy. I mean, we're not even doing anything of it. We're not even seeing any Plan uh, apart from a, a, a kind of uh, a, 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 a project that's been approved ten years ago, but no action has been taken. Uh, I mean, the studies are showing that in fact offshore wind farm can supply the bulk. Of electricity we need in hong kong but we are still relying primarily uh, on um, fossil fuel uh, uh, energy for power generation and the other thing is adaptation i mean when you know we haven't even seen any single initiative by the government you know to you know to handle the the, the kind of uh, sea level rises you know that we will be seeing we are talking about meters of sea level rises
3: um, meters not, of meters meters. M- meters of sea level right? i mean that, that means that meters
7: of sea level that, exactly i mean because of the tipping points i mean this is what we need to plan for and and, and i mean you look at singapore singapore has already uh, gone for you know serious actions um, about coastal uh, what they call a the coastal defense structure mm. i mean we have nothing like that here to, to in hong kong and that is very worrying
3: are you saying parts of Hong Kong will become uninhabitable then, if you get meters of um, sea so. rising?
7: I'm afraid that you know that has to be the conclusion if any of the tipping points are reached, right? I mean, we are talking about a significant uh, uh, shift in terms of uh, population uh, settlements. Uh, you, you you just look at what happened in Hualan. I mean the. Uh, I mean the, the disaster there. It's about flooding, not sea level rise. But you can see the flooding that affects the, uh, uh, the underground tunnels. I mean the railways and so on. I mean, what if this happens in Hong Kong? I mean, how can our MTR cope with uh, uh, disasters like this? I mean, this is unimaginable.
3: You're quite right. I mean, what we saw in, in central China, bring, I mean, the flooding in, in the underground brings, brings home you know, sort of the dangers of anything underground. Are you saying there'll be a future where we literally can't use the MTR in parts of Hong Kong?
7: Now, if anyone is in doubt, I would invite you to take a look at a website called Climate Central. Uh, they have uh, some visual models showing that, you know, when we are talking about metres of sea level rise, you know, which part of Hong Kong will be underwater, and that includes quite a few of our MTR stations. Right, Just imagine. Even if one MTR station is submerged, can the MTR be used at all? You know, how many people, you know, will die inside the tunnels if the trains are running? I mean, all these are... are, are, yeah. I mean, it may sound very alarming, but the fact is that, you know, this is really becoming real, you know, (laughs) more real every day.
3: (laughs) You talk about population relocation. I mean, in other countries like the US, there's plenty of space to relocate people. But, I mean, Hong Kong... um Unless you talk about relocation into the Greater Bay Area, there's nowhere for people to go.
7: (laughs) Well, it could be the other way around. I mean, mean, the Greater Bay is actually very prone to uh, sea level rise. I mean, (laughs) Shenzhen and Guangzhou are one of the two most vulnerable cities in terms of, uh, you uh, you know, dangers to sea level rise. So we will be talking about, you know, having to accommodate climate refugees into Hong Kong. You know, not moving out of Hong Kong. So can Hong Kong cope with that? I mean, we haven't seen any plan by the government. Um, So I'm I'm hoping that, uh, uh, you know, they would not just uh, promise a long term target, but really uh, tell us what sort of short term action they're doing.
3: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that was Albert Lai, uh, CEO of Carbon Care Asia. And we're going to continue the discussion after about climate change after the news. And my apologies to Dr. William Mew, who's with us, who we haven't got to yet, but we'll be going to uh, Dr. William Mew, uh, founder and chief executive officer of World Green Organization, right after the news. Also still with us here in the studio, uh, Lam Chuyin, the former Hong Kong Observatory director. If you have any thoughts on this, or indeed any other topics, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. And you can go to our Facebook page Page. back Jack on rthk radio free and leave a comment there a couple of comments uh, on climate change indeed uh, dan saying that simply there is no climate change so there's still some people who um, say that there is no climate change uh, if you've got any any other comments on that topic please do do join the discussion there the weather forecasts cloudy with showers and squally thunderstorms the showers will be heavy at times maximum temperature around 30 degrees currently 27 degrees relative humidity 88 percent. we'll be back in three minutes my THK. Welcome back to Backchat. I'm Denny Gittings, your co-host this morning, Janice Wong, as we um, continue the discussion about uh, climate change in Hong Kong and indeed around the world on the back of the extreme weather events that uh, we've been seeing in several parts of the world and predictions that uh, Hong Kong is doing not nearly enough to prepare for them. Our guests as we continue the discussion, um, we have here in the studio with us Lam Chu Ying. Lam Chu Ying is the former Hong Kong Observatory Director. And on the phone we have Dr. William Mew, a former founder and chief executive officer World Green Organisation uh uh dr dr you let's go to you first sorry we didn't bring you in before the news um h- how alarmed are uh, first of all what you've been seeing around the world in um recent weeks and uh, about uh, whether i mean people say we're entering a new phase of climate change here
8: um i i think um it's hard to link uh, the single extreme incident with climate change but definitely climate change serves as a background you know to accelerate all these uh phenomenon uh, including the uh, the uh, extreme uh the severe weather uh, incidents so um i i think now we we really need to you know uh, uh draw our attention to uh, what we can do to cope with the um i i would say more frequently happened uh the uh, extreme event and also in terms of the intensity not only the frequency uh we may expect uh, you know uh we have a, a more heavy uh precipitation in the future uh floodings um so we we are we get prepared i mean in terms of our infrastructure in terms of you know our uh social service, uh are we prepared? I think we need to look at this actually back to a few years ago, when I looked at the climate change uh, some kind of modeling research, they already have different types of forecasts. For example, the, the the heat wave will hit seriously the central United States, all this. So I, I think we need to prepare.
4: Earlier in the program, Albert Lai, uh, he, he said uh, Hong Kong is uh, not prepared for extreme weather conditions such as flooding. I mean, in, in, what do you think? In your view, is, is Hong Kong prepared?
8: Um, I, I think... Um, in general, when you look at the sea, what uh, the sea level rise, um, I what I saw uh, the global research is, uh, yep that you know that it relates to the geographical location. In Hong Kong, although we're not seriously affected by that, but um, actually, working organization did a research uh, a few years ago um, with the influence of a storm surge as well as a typhoon. Um, uh, in by the end of the century, our our tunnel can get flooded. So um, all these uh, uh, possible, you know, uh, phenomenon uh, that we need to start to think about, you know, uh, our MTR, our um, infrastructure, our transportation system, um, because you know all this design uh, was not to uh, cater with you know like the heavy rainfall. You, you saw the photos, um, before, uh, the car park in the basement and some fatal accidents. But, you know, uh, at the very beginning, when we decide this kind of infrastructure, we, we do not expect, you know, such a level of precipitation.
3: So you saying? I mean, you saying we're, these tunnels? We're still building tunnels, right? I mean, we we haven't stopped. Should we be build, building bridges in future? I mean, is that the is that the way forward? We just have to recognize that um, uh, t- tunnels is just going to be too dangerous in Hong Kong.
8: Um, I, I think, like uh, the drainage uh, surface department or, or other department, they they already start to look at you know all these uh, new infrastructure. Uh, you know, the timeline that, that that can cope with the new, you know, forecasted uh, uh, rainfall level. Uh, because some research already showed, you know, in, in uh, kind of Asia-Pacific, uh, the rainfall could increase by 30%. Mm-hmm. And and now we, um, you know, the, the average rainfall, um, now we reach a level, but in the future, we cannot use the same standard to cope with uh the changing level of rainfall so um our entire design for the future system on the one hand uh we need to take this into our calculation but on the other hand is uh whether we can uh you know our existing infrastructure whether we can cope with that that's that's the point
4: and it's not just about rainfall or rising sea levels when we talk about extreme weather conditions. I mean, Canada recently recorded almost fifty degrees Celsius. Is that something we can expect in Hong Kong?
8: Uh, according to Hong Kong Observatory, I think uh, based on their mo- modelling, uh, by the end of the century, I, I think in uh, we we can see uh, uh, a maximum temperature could uh, be up to 40 degrees Celsius. Uh, now it's around, maybe the maximum around 36, 37. And, and we, we should expect, you know, with this kind of condition, what will happen in the future? Like uh, the shelter, uh, whether we, our workers in uh, working in the outdoor area, and how about the rate of heat stroke? Because um, even the Chinese university, they have done some research Uh, About the hospitalization, whenever there is an increase in the temperature and especially that exceeds the threshold value, then you will see a significant increase in the hospitalization. So the heat stress, heat stroke, all these uh, possible threats, we need to start to look at, you know, what is the implication to our health.
3: Okay, we're discussing uh, climate change on the back of extreme weather events around the world and the possible impact on Hong Kong. You just heard Dr. William Yu, uh, founder and chief executive officer of the World Green Organization, also here with us, Lam Chu Ying, the former Hong Kong observatory director. any thoughts, email us at backchat.rthk.hk backchat or go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free and leave a comment there. A few uh, comments uh, on uh, today's topic. Uh, uh, William, uh, tongue-in-cheek, I presume, on Facebook, saying, couldn't the government... Just just threaten the weather with prison, unless it is to our liking. Uh, in the emails coming in, uh, Mike says, I just listened to a programme from Australia where parts of the country have seen the coldest temperatures since 1958. Yes, climate change is the right term. I'm glad it's changed from the older term, global warming. Climate is changing everywhere. In the summer, it's hotter. And in the winter, in some areas, it's colder. And a question to our guest uh, from S. Um, S says... Could the sea level rises be partly due to land reclamation in uh, coastal areas? Um, uh, Lam-Chuy-ying, what would you say in response to that question about the effect of reclamation?
6: (laughs) Well, the amount of soil we throw into the sea is so tiny compared with the total volume of the sea. Um, So I think reclamation has very little to do with the global sea level rise. Um, But the global sea level rise associated with climate change is very real. Uh, in Hong Kong, in the old days, it used to be rising at one millimeter per year. Now it is close to three. So it is rising three times faster than before. Um, um, in Hong Kong, the engineering departments, they are still working on an assumption of a rise of something like 0.5, 0.7 meters uh, at the end of the century. But uh, but that number is only an average anticipation of the sea level rise. Uh, In terms of disaster preparedness, you don't prepare for the average. You prepare for the extreme, the the probable extreme. So um, uh, even if uh, we we, we ignore the coming assessment in in a few weeks' time, the the last assessment says that uh, based on the last assessment of the IPCC, uh, there is a 1% chance of rising by 1.4 meters. Uh, and, and and from my point of view, if you are preparing for the future, preparing for future disasters, you don't prepare for 0.7, you have to prepare for 1.4 meters. Um, according to the observatory, based on the latest uh, uh, sea level observations in typhoons, what used to be a once in 50 years event will become an annual event by the end of this century. So sea level rise and flooding due to sea level rise is a serious matter for Hong Kong. Uh, I would like to invite the listeners to, to 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 think about the northwestern part of the new territories, which is, you know, it, 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 we are now seeing fish ponds, very low. And, uh, and so this would be the place that would be flooded first. Unfortunately, I, I see building developments coming into this area. So I'm really worried about uh, uh, increasing population in highly threatened places in Hong Kong. Uh, I really would invite people to think before they buy any property in that area. Um, uh, and one other thing, one other observation of mine, and that is the Singapore government. Has committed a fund of 500 billion Hong Kong dollars for coastal defence works uh, 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 in in case the sea level rises. But in Hong Kong, we are we are planning to spend more than this amount of money to build an artificial island. Uh, So it is going against the tide. We are creating a new danger which doesn't exist before. So I, I. this is a very big contrast in how governments see see the future. One government is spending money to 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 try to uh, uh, prepare for the future sea level rise, but the other but the other government is building something for the sea level for the sea to flood. <laughs> so this is something we should really think about.
4: Earlier, Albert Lai, he says that with the sea level rise, um, some parts of Hong Kong may become inhabitable, yeah. and you're saying something similar. How, how many years will that take I mean, for for, it, for something like that to happen?
6: Well, um, we have been thinking about the end of this century. Um, so it is 80 years from now. Uh, and for those who are 20 years old or young, <laughs> they, they probably will see that. And if you are buying property... You really expect your children or your grandson, grandchildren, to be able to live in the property. So uh, looking ahead, 80 years is, is not really that, that long. Uh, uh, I mean, that that, that much ahead. Um, I really think that these governments and the people of Hong Kong do think about the end of this century.
3: Okay, uh, let's bring in another comment from a listener, which uh, I suspect, uh, um, Mr. Lamb, you you'll agree with very strongly. Uh, Richard II says, <clears throat> one of the biggest problems in encouraging change in behaviour is there's almost no mention of this topic in the media. For example, in today's news, there is no mention of the latest report, with a new report being published almost weekly, the latest report that presents overwhelming evidence of, ha- of the hazards that climate change poses. Why? If the style of questioning that I'm listening to on Backchat is an example, there is little interest, knowledge or belief in this problem. Is this real should not be a question. Of course it's real. A lot more real than Sky Fairies. The discussion is on, the discussion is, on is Hong Kong prepared as if the issue is to build higher walls. Yes, we do. But, uh, but we need to act to stop it getting worse. This is far more important. And the utter lack of interest in decarbonizing Hong Kong is terrifyingly evident of the ignorance or idiocy that exists here and in many other places. Dr. Lam says he's ashamed of the lack of action here. It's not just shameful, but criminally negligent. And this isn't just about Hong Kong. It's everywhere. And the effects will be horrendous. Anyone aged less than 40 years of age is being set up. Let's not pretend otherwise anymore. And that email from Richard Second.
4: Right and uh, the, the list of, and uh the list of uh, extreme weather conditions we've been talking about uh um is something that uh scientists did expect but did anyone expect it to happen so fast
6: Well um I think increasingly scientists are are a bit puzzled or, or surprised by the, the the fast pace of changes uh well you see it, uh, one or two decades ago we are mainly focused on a, a, a gradual rise in temperature only to only two degrees by the end of this century. but then f- very few of us, including meteorologists, realize that this is just the background for other things to happen and increasingly in the last few years we we realized that extreme weather will be the focus of our future world uh, and uh, it takes a long time for this to sink in, even among meteorologists, and that is how much the impacts of the extreme weather would be. In the old days we are saying that oh it's getting warmer, uh, you can grow you can grow wheat in in Canada. <laughs> I mean in the colder parts of Canada, so it would be an advantage for, for high latitude countries. But then we realize that oh no, the the, the heat, the the drought, or, or actually the, the, the very severe snowstorms in the winter, they are all manifestations of the same phenomenon, climate change. So, um, so one of your listeners said, oh, it's getting colder in winter. Well, it's correct. It could happen. Extreme cold events could happen in global warming. This is part of the story. So don't don't use the don't use the single incident of cold, snow, uh, severe snowstorm to negate uh, climate change. It's part of it.
3: Um, with uh, Dr. William Yu.
6: Hi. Yes. Um, I, I think we also need to focus
8: on you know the vulnerability of our city. So, how to build the urban resilience? Because I, I can give you some example about um, the European Commission. You know, they have done different research um, uh, to develop a vulnerability map, you know, for the city. So, I, I think for Hong mm-hmm. Kong, we we should identify, you know, the the vulnerable parts and uh, and also the hotspot and the area that most vulnerable to heat. Um, uh, especially Professor uh, Lam Ying uh, mentioned about the flooding. Also, I think we also need to pay attention to the heat. So how to protect, you know, people's health. So uh, they use a satellite or drone to, you know, detect all these hot spots in the area. So I, I think we, we really need to have a, a kind of um, structure and plan to uh, cope with these coming changes are we aware i mean um, not only our hardware but also the impact to our to the public health
3: okay we have a caller caller dan good morning dan welcome to back chat
9: yes danny and guests good morning first of all danny I, you committed the unpardonable sin for which i will pardon you <laughs> you misquoted me on facebook well you said um,
3: there is no climate change right
9: i said there is no climate crisis oh, sorry
3: yes you, there's no climate crisis
9: that is a huge difference, obviously. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Um, in fact, my first point is going to be for all your guests uh, that uh, climate change has been part of the Earth since it's forming. It's the climate is changing now. It will always be changing. Uh, even if there was not one person on the Earth, this would be the case. So I reject the, the term uh, on its face. I think there needs to be another term that describes what's going on. Um, I also offer on Facebook a link to several proofs as to why it isn't a crisis, there are indeed thousands of scientists that would uh, infer, assert, posit that there is no significant climate crisis right now. The short-term weather phenomena, as all these gentlemen, all your guests should know, can have nothing to do with uh, uh, proposed climate change. I've been studying the weather since I was a young boy. I had a weather station, I've studied climate, it's a passion for me. I even have a weather station online at the Weather Underground out here in the Munzai, uh, Shalon area. So I, I have a passion for this issue and I'm, I'm disappointed at the, the uh, people who, who should know better who, who are not sticking with science. I haven't heard guests uh, a few months ago or last year, Danny, one of your guests said, well, the science is settled. There is no debate. There is no issue. That isn't science. That's dogma. We don't need dogma. We need facts. We need the truth. And often we're not getting that. We're getting fear mongering and uh, uh, rather than the truth.
3: Uh, Lam Chieng, would you like to respond?
6: Well, um, I don't know how one single person with a weather station could negate the conclusion of thousands of scientists working for the subject, also for decades. Okay, so,
2: sir.
6: <laughs> I have a... no let me let uh, me n- give n- the n- facts. You
2: can respond,
3: and then well, you can respond then. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, um, if you look at the carbon dioxide level, um, the carbon dioxide level we we are now having now we are now having is the highest in the past 20 million years and uh, also if you look at the the, the temperature uh, it is also going back uh, roughly that length of time
9: carbon uh, dioxide no, is not a pollutant
6: the no, plants love it no i'm sorry it's, uh, I, I i'm basic I, i'm my what i say is based on the very recent scientific publications and it is not my single person uh, assessment and uh, The most authoritative assessment comes from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is a UN agency. uh, agency. And uh, you can't choose not to believe a, a, a UN agency supported by thousands of scientists but instead believing in one or two or ten or thousands, I don't know. Okay,
9: here's here's 500. Here's 500 scientists from September twenty third, 2019. A global network of more than 500 knowledgeable and experienced scientists and professionals in climate and related fields signed a letter to the United Nations General Secretary insisting that, quote, climate science should be less political while climate policy should be more scientific scientists should openly address the uncertainties and exaggerations in their predictions of global warming, while politicians should dispassionately count the real benefits as well as the imagined costs of adaptation to global warming and the real costs as well as the imagined benefits of mitigation. So there are lots of people who disagree. And the, the bottom line to me, uh, and I, I'm, that's just one person, I've studied and read a lot about this issue. It's not just me. The, the, the thing is, we don't know what we don't know about climate change. <laughs> no, I'm right? sorry.
6: We do know what we know. And uh, human beings, being a rational uh, collective of intellect, with pe- people with intellectual faculty, we have to make decisions based on data based on fact, okay, based Dr. on Lai. knowledge, based on wisdom. and uh,
9: Dr. Lai, Dr. Lai, can you tell me what the weather will be uh, a month from now on August 30th here in Hong Kong?
6: No, you, I, I know what you are talking about. Um, you see, it, when we are going to long term, uh, we, it, actually the prediction is very simple. It is not as complicated as you think. If there is small carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, the greenhouse effect is there, and we can calculate the heating effect of of that phenomenon. And then the result is very obvious. Temperature will rise. Um, It is a totally different story, totally different thing from forecasting weather for a single day, 1,000 years from now. So it is a totally different subject, and uh, you can't mix up the two. This reflects how you don't understand the science. I'm sorry. No,
9: I, I do understand. The reality is that no scientist on the planet can tell any, any of us with any credible probability whether the climate in year 2030 or 2050 would be cooler or warmer than today. I, I'm sorry. Nobody can
6: I, say that. I choose to differ. We know very well how the, gen, how the global mean temperature would change in the next couple of years. It is very certain. It is not as if what if we had effect. a
9: major volcanic eruption a major volcanic eruption that lasted let's say for nine months or a year that cooled the earth it totally throws the model you're talking about out the window and also how do you oh, whether your model sorry. Is
6: correct? <laughs> even the even the volcano Pinatubo, which was very strong the effect disappeared in a, a year or two so a, a single volcano eruption won't change the story. I'm sorry. This is the fact. Okay, How that, do you
8: know your... How, how that can you... Before, you know, in 2014, uh, 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 yes. those in uh, Indonesia, the volcanic eruption, that really caused the temperature down. But that's the single event that only lasts for a while. So that doesn't <laughs> affect the overall trend, please. How can you use a single event to conclude <laughs> the overall trend, which we are talking about uh, many years. So I, I think the story will happen again. You like, you know, the ocean hole, the, the ocean layer depletion that happened in the past in the U.S. Okay. A group of scientists jump out and said, oh, no, no hole. Okay. The layer still there. The concentration remains unchanged. But after many years, when we have satellite, you know, technology, then they start to discover, whoa, a big problem. Then they ask back about the scientists. Oh, your research not related to ozone. Come on, how can you, you know, witness um, in 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 the cabinet to say okay, there there is no hole. Okay, so that always happens again. If you choose not to believe in climate change, that's fine. That's your own personal choice. But I think uh, based on the reputable scientists, over a thousand, you know, uh, with all these international. Uh, expert, I, I I will choose to believe.
3: Okay, we're going to have to uh, draw it to a close, but let's give, give the last word to our listener, Dan. And before I, I do, um, you have a supporter, Dan. Uh, Rick has emailed to say I agree with the caller. Climate crisis is an excuse for a further tax grab. Um, Dan, you're waiting okay, for. Let me
9: just let, let me just quote, quote Richard S. Linden. Richard S. Linden is an atmospheric physicist and former professor of meteorology at MIT in the USA. Here's the quote. Global warming is about politics and power rather than science. In science, there's an attempt to clarify. In global warming, language is misused in order to confuse and mislead the public. The misuse of language extends to the use of climate models. Advocates of policies allegedly addressing global warming use models not to predict, but rather to justify Mm. the claim that Catastrophe is possible. Mm. So okay. that's my point. It's become
8: okay. too politicized. It's become dogma. It's I, become okay. almost a <laughs> You know, from from my from my university, the Cambridge University, professors, they also choose to 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 provide evidence and you know participate in this uh, meaningful research. They 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 don't hold the same views with the MIT professors.
3: Okay, we're going to have, to, so call, call, yes, we'll have <laughs> to call it a close to discussion there. Thank you very much, Dan, for calling in and uh, livening up the debate. And thank you very much indeed to our guests uh, here in the studio, uh, Lam Chu Ying, the former Hong Kong Observatory Director. And you also heard on the phone Dr. William Yu, Founder and Chief Executive Officer at World Green Organisation. Let's try and squeeze in uh, some uh, comments um, from listeners before we go. Uh, Peter, climate ch- an email titled, Climate Change Doom says supposedly there is a new dawn in climate policy as the u.s rejoined the paris agreement not much has changed things have gotten worse actually the united states under joe biden has doubled down on the absurd narrative that the united states has the national capacity and moral stature to lead the world's response to climate change let me dismiss this with claim with a few words first the doom of the climate change regime was sealed when the united states refused to ratify the kyoto protocol in 1998 it was doubly doomed when the united states under barack obama imposed a successor regime that eliminated legally binding caps for anyone it was triple doomed when Donald Trump withdrew from the Paris Agreement. It was quadruple doomed when the United States under Joe Biden decided to double down on Trump's China containment policies making his top priority an organising policy principle to treat, China as, um, to treat China as America's top adversary. In addition to combating climate change successfully, everyone seems to ignore one of the biggest white elephants in the room, the US military. The US military accounts for most of the carbon emissions produced by the USA. And uh, lastly on the, today's topic, uh, Jay says, I understand the moon has moved a little bit off track, hence why the tides are different. And we know there's going to be flooding. So why aren't the government going along the coastal front and and building the wall higher by two metres? And finally, one email on a different topic relating to yesterday's show... um, Martin emailing, his this email is now entitled uh, Two Systems Part Three. Um, I read out an email from Martin yesterday which produced a furious response uh, from uh, uh, Toby, a serving police officer, who um, uh, emails back chat from time to time. Um, Martin now clarifying, saying my failure to insert a comma appears to have created some misunderstanding. What I should have been saying is that in order to appease a DAB district councillor wannabe, comma athlete angus was obliged to wear a t-shirt with the sar emblem the wannabe of course referred to mook who who criticized the the athlete not the athlete then toby who who emailed backchat yesterday jumps on the bandwagon with the accusation i'd said if the athlete had been a yellow supporter he would have been locked up my message in fact said if someone from the yellow camp had caused the unpleasant incident he would have been locked up Practically every day, people with pan-democratic affiliations are arrested for picking quarrels, disseminating messages, doxing, you name it. But when inappropriate and rash acts from the other side then excuses like too young, not too mature, have earned a lesson, humanised manner, are trotted out, and the issue is swept under the carpet. Two systems indeed. Thank you very much, Martin. Uh, That's all for today. The weather forecast will be cloudy with showers and squally thunderstorms. Uh, Showers will be heavy at times. Uh, Maximum temperature will be around 30 degrees. Um, Currently, the temperature is 27 degrees, relative humidity uh, 94%. Thank you uh, all again to our guests. Uh, Thank you, Janice. Anything else Thank before you. we go?
4: Um,
9: I guess go, Siobhan.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, that's what <from> Wallace. <laughs> right, go, Siobhan, and we'll see you on Monday.
9: The Employees Retraining Board has newly launched the Love Upgrading Special Scheme 4 to help the unemployed or underemployed to enhance their skills. There is no restriction on educational attainment. Around 500 courses are offered free of charge with a special allowance at a monthly maximum of $5,800. Free enterprise based training is provided. Training for Empowerment and Employment. For details, please call 1 or visit erb.org.
3: The news with Suzanne Susan Lavender.
2: The Olympic action is just getting underway with the SAR's badminton mixed doubles team of Tang Chun Man and Tsai Suit about to take to the court. They face Japanese pair Yuta Watanabe and Arisa Higashino for a bronze medal. And just before 10, Hong Kong will again hold its breath when swimming ace Siobhan Hohe goes for glory in the women's 100-metre freestyle. The first person in Hong Kong to be found guilty of national security Offenses will find out his sentence this afternoon. Tong Yin Kit's defense counsel called for leniency, saying what the 24-year-old did was stupid, but only intended to mock police. And President Biden has told millions of American government workers and contractors to be vaccinated against coronavirus or face compulsory testing and other restrictions. The announcement follows a renewed rise in COVID infections fueled by the Delta variant. The news from RTHK. Stand by for the brew. Uh,
8: sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume designer. great interpreter
3: of Beethoven. Oh <laughs> Quiet and retiring doggy counsellor, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. No.
8: Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the myth In-depth interviews and also
2: observations.
8: Absolutely no way.
2: On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning Brew. Uh- Welcome to
8: Friday here on The Morning Brew. Good to be back with you. We are Japan bound in a few minutes for today's live Summer Olympics report with Danny Hicks. And at 9.59 our time today, Hong Kong's attention will be focused on star swimmer Siobhan Hoi as she competes in the final of the women's 100 meters freestyle. Stay with us for that. After 11.30 today, France's Philippe Dover will be with us as he couldn't join us on Wednesday live from Paris with all his news and some music. And, of course, it's Friday after 12, our regular weekend, a trip to the movies with critic James Marsh, who'll be reviewing Jungle Cruise, Old, and more. So do join us on Facebook Live for Marshy Movie Time.